0: No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and joining me again this week on the program is... Nobody. I am continuing my deep dive into funerals, the practicality of them, what they mean to us as a larger concept, and why we do them at all. So this week I wanted to look at um, some more of the what's the word, not requirements, but the um, demanding nature of them, That the, <laughs> the element of funeral that requires satisfaction. And I'll explain that further as I get to it. But before that, wanted to say, if you've got any questions, comments, thoughts, feedback, uh, things to share, things that you thought would be relevant to the podcast that you think I should uh, respond to or read to, I would love to hear it. Send it to you're dead to at gmail.com just spelled like the podcast title y-o-u-r-e-d-e-a-d-t-o-o at gmail.com or find out or uh, reach out to me on twitter with at you're dead too on twitter or instagram i'm available either place happy to engage and hear what i can i know that it's uh, asking for trouble just reaching out to the internet as a whole but i would like to find out more about my listeners here um additionally it's fall here um the world has quickly turned over from summer, and it feels like everything is just kind of cold and gray and dank and kind of like, ugh, it's it's October, and it's just kind of been raining for three, four days here in a row, and it just already feels so Halloween-ish, which I need to be very careful uh, as I get too excited for that because I, in the past, um, if I, like, jump both feet into the pool into Halloween – I just really <laughs> can get burned out on it, like too much morbidity and too much uh, grim and freaky, scary stuff that like becomes overwhelming. And by like October 20th, I'm like, man, I just want to watch some cartoons. I think I'm just stressed out. So I need to make sure that I'm like tempering my expectations and not going too crazy with Halloween. That being said, it is my favorite time of year. I love everything a little bit spooky. Um, one of my favorite things to do is go to like, so Valley Fair is an amusement park near here when they do their Valley Scare, when they turn it into a fall, um, you know, only open at nighttime kind of eerie spooky amusement park deal that they'll have, you know, uh, hay rides or not hay rides, a uh, hay maze to get lost in. And they'll have people jumping out at you and then they'll do, um, they'll still have all the rides ri- that, uh, roller coasters that are going that you can ride and it's totally different riding them at night. And, uh, in the dark and in the cold, and you just get such a different perspective of what an amusement park is when it's like that. I, by the way, have not done this in several years. I say it's one of my favorite things, but I mean, it's one of my favorite memories (laughs) because I'm frankly just getting old and I have a child and I can't just uh, pick up and go and do this kind of uh, goofy stuff at the drop of a hat. Time is a commodity now that I don't have as much of. But I will say it was super, super cool and fun to do that when I was younger. And one of my favorite memories was I was at uh, Valley Fair with um, my wife and all of our friends. We were um, just, you know, a bunch of young people without kids uh, having some drinks and going to an amusement park and running around and doing haunted houses and riding some of the rides. And at one point I got separated from the entire group and I was walking through an area that had been made up to look like a cemetery. And... The fog machine had just been running and running and running undisturbed. I mean, like, there was no breeze to push everything along, so it was just super, super foggy and super, super uh, atmospheric and creepy and just packed. You couldn't see. And I kind of knew where I was, but I knew my friends were around somewhere, but, like, I was pretty sure that there was nobody around. It was quiet. I could hear the sounds of the amusement park on the far side of the park. And out of the fog steps one of the actors for the park and when i say actor it's got to be just like a teenager on stilts you know it's not anything super uh high-end value like i don't mean spirage valley fair but i mean this was not like cirque de soleil trained performers this is young people here working at the park somebody just kind of lumbers a little bit out of the fog on stilts Uh, you know a vaguely human shape comes out of the darkness and then just moves right back into the fog. And it was the creepiest, creepiest thing because it was just this, you know, it was just so not right, you know, just uncanny valley of just what is that? Something that was that was human-ish moving out of the fog and then step back in, but like, oof, man, I just, I get chills thinking about it now because it was such an image to just experience. And it was this weird private thing that my friends were there and I tried to explain like, you guys, uh, the weirdest thing happened when I got separated from you guys, and I don't think people really like believed it. Or, but it's just it was a cool moment of, man, that was so perfect and magic just for me. So I, I really, as you can tell, I get excited about Halloween, but I gotta just temper it a little bit. Um, additionally, this is, I'm approaching all the fun spooky stuff, all the horror movies and things that I love about Halloween a little bit differently because I have this pop cultural obsession with. Uh, you know, thematic things attuned to my own life. Like anybody, I like watching Christmas movies around the holidays. I like, um, you know, spooky movies in Halloween. Uh, that's why I loved season three of Stranger Things so much this year that it was uh, set right around 4th of July. It was just, it felt so on the nose of just, wow, you feel like you're, there's a little bit of uh, idiosyncrasy or er, um, synchronicity to what you're experiencing almost. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a heady thing, but, uh, with horror movies and super spooky stuff, I, I have to, like, dissociate a bit from it now, because I have a kid, and that just changes the way I view so much of, I mean, the world around me, but then pop culture, too, so this might sound unrelated at first, but I, uh, recently listened to a podcast about the movie AI, the Steven Spielberg um, movie that was based off of a Stanley Kubrick um, concept that was itself based on a short story, but the idea has to do with uh, raising children and children loving their parents and the idea of love and unrequited love. And I was really surprised to hear... The people on the podcast it was called blank check is the name of the podcast they did a really great series on steven spielberg's career post oscar um it was so crazy to hear why i had had issues with that movie distilled into reasons that were much more digestible and helped me put a finger on exactly what it was that had made me uncomfortable about the movie it's about death and permanence and the end of all things And our denial of it. And it's like the Stephen King thing to stand up and say, oh, you want a Stephen King movie? Here's the anti stephen King movie. Or uh, it's not Stephen King, uh, Steven Spielberg. Um, you know, E.T., uh, just very antithetical to his popcorn cinematic, uh, work before this was like a reaction to it in a way to say you know i'd always thought it was the proverbial too dark for spielberg too light for kubrick when in, in reality the way that they broke it down it was really oh this is much more in line with what he wanted and was doing and like i just gave me a whole new appreciation for it so that was kind of a kismet thing for me to understand about uh <laughs> it's watching violence on screen and watching stuff about ghosts and people dying and i'm handling it all very differently now like not that I'm somehow becoming soft in, uh, my adulthood here, but just that I'm the, like, if you go back and listen to my episode about the night, uh, Night of Living Dead, I react to it so differently than I would have in my 20s when I first was really obsessing over that movie. So, uh, you know, as, uh, As time goes on, people change and deal with different stuff in different ways, and that's, I suppose, why I'm here in the first place, is just to examine all this and figure out what it is that's happening. So, um, But as I said, let's dive into funerals and costs and uh, things that demand resolution. Let's put the fun back in funeral. What I wanted to talk about this week was something that uh, I've only really thought about a handful of times in my entire life because it's such a strange concept that I, I it was like so abstract. It was mashing together two things in reality that I just hadn't considered going together before, one being the funeral and all of the business notions of what it means to put somebody in the ground and then two the economic system laid on top of that and it just the the combination of those two the the peanut butter and the jelly of that are just wild to me I have such a hard time wrapping my head around it so for me it's it's not something that I can just like oh you know, today we're going to talk about the, the basic elements of what the payment's good. Like, I can certainly look at that aspect of it, but it, it feels so strangely, um, I don't know, just alien. Those things just push together, and I would actually—what um, I need to do is talk to uh, people in my life that are uh, very fiscally responsible and organized and talk to them about the practicality of their own uh, finances in their world to see how this works and— um, talk to more knowable people, you know, more knowledgeable people about, um, the details of this, but from my own perspective, I'm certainly willing to dive in and figure out what's going on here, but I would like to find out more about this and, uh, share it because it's just, it's a wealth of world, you know, of information out there. Like when I had, uh, past guest Brenna on as a death doula to talk about what she does, I certainly have my own assumptions, had no idea that her role would be as, um, in the moment as it is. It's just very diegetic to the scenario of, you know, how she performs to what's, anyway, that aside, what I'm talking about today is, so what happens? How What happens if you don't participate? What happens if you don't go from A to B like you're supposed to? Um, when somebody dies, the body is taken from point A wherever it is, Um, it may pass through a funeral home, it may go through an autopsy, whatever happens, but uh, it has to get into the ground. Not necessarily the ground, but it has to go away somehow, capital A, away. Um, Typically, it's a burial. Uh, Oftentimes, in a rising percentage, actually, cremation is taking over, and we'll talk a bit about why that is, but as far as getting from A to B, People have agency in doing that. We have this deep-seated inclination to guard or shepherd the dead and do what we see is to be right by them and getting from, uh, you know, uh, sitting with the dead to having interred the body somehow. Um, We have this almost innate reverence for, Uh, it's like this taboo, it's a taboo built around an evolutionary uh, adverseness to exposure to illness or um, disease, you know, by not wanting to be around a dead body or what we perceive as sick somehow. We don't want to be exposed to the bacteria or the potential for illness, so we, you know, we shy away from the dead, and it's also this learned but innate thing that we don't We don't associate with the dead. We don't play with dead things. We, you know, you kill an animal, you consume it or use it for resources, and you use every part of the buffalo if you can. But we don't, you know, there's a a morbidity or a uh, a callousness to life that we don't foster, if that makes any sense. Maybe I'm being too verbose. Anyway, uh, what what I'm trying to say is there is a strong. (laughs) unspoken to a certain point push to get the body dealt with somehow there is this drive for resolution we're supposed to call a funeral home or you know the doula or the nurse whoever is involved in the scenario they contact a funeral home they come and collect the body they prepare it as necessary for the funeral or whatever ceremony you'd like to perform and then it's interred in the ground or cremated, or what have you. What if you don't do that? Uh, We quickly get into legal complications, because there may be city and state law that prevents you from keeping a dead body on site that might state depending where you are that they have to be handled by the proper authorities and eventually interred in some manner, because we recognize what would happen if you didn't. It would become a health concern. It would be disrespectful to the dead, and it would cause all sorts of uh, problematic concerns for the rest of the community. Um, <laughs> to use the joke from the internet, we live in a society. Uh, yeah, there, there are rules that we obey for the sake of the common good, and one of them is to take care of the dead. So if you, if you don't do anything, somebody will force you to do something. Uh, if the state becomes aware of it, they will call in the local uh, <laughs> I say people, meaning uh, if need be the law to enforce uh, the consequence of having the funeral home or whoever is the state contracted person to do so to remove the body because the state eventually has to step in to uh, cover the cost in in the event that somebody is destitute. Like, for example, worst case scenario, somebody dies alone with nothing. You know, a homeless person passes away um, and there's no way to identify next of kin of any kind the state is responsible for uh, handling it from that point, basically, um, from dressing the body to interring uh, in a uh, government-owned or partnered uh, cemetery or interment area. So, basically, if forced hand, you know, through enough scenarios the government says we have to take this and just deal with this because we can't just leave this sit um so that's one potential outcome the other would be to play by the system's rules and go through the necessary motions and for most people that involves contacting um the business or organization that would be um allowed to or you know permitted to come collect the body and prepare and dress the body um embalming and uh to what extent that happens getting ready for the funeral and the internal process now to do so yes there may be organizations that do this out of a uh, benevolence or kindness or um, volunteer factor for the community that they serve um, but this is america and it's built on capitalism for better or for worse it would seem and uh there is the fact that you have to pay for this service. This is something that people do that we don't want to acknowledge, but there, this is a huge business, the funeral home business. I would love to have the opportunity to speak to people in the funeral home industry uh, here in Minnesota or anybody who would be willing to Skype in and talk. I could certainly do that as well, but I will be um, in contact with people in the area here, but I obviously want to be as reverent and uh, tactful as possible in navigating this whole field. But let's look at this for what it is. This is a service that, you know, most people wouldn't want to do themselves. So you will pay somebody to do it. It is not cheap. There are things that have to be dealt with. And I'll go through the whole list here. But when you get down to it, nuts and bolts, if you're an American listening to this, um, I'm sorry, rest of the world, but I'm obviously a biased American. This is my this is the view from which I speak, so this is the the easiest term for me to speak to, and this is where my largest audience is. But if you were to die in 2019 and have a funeral for you from most conventional routes, the cost is between seven and $9,000. That is not nothing. That is a lot of money to have to come up with, essentially at the drop of a hat. Uh... The fact of the matter is with death, not everybody knows the hour or the day. You know, there's so much uncertainty in the world that it's very hard to account for this. It's one thing to uh, plan for a wedding or plan to buy a house where you save up and you save up and do this thing and execute a financial plan. Uh, this is much more reactionary. This I would consider the financial equivalent of getting hit by a car only. Um, the outcome isn't good in this case. So, seven to ten thousand dollars is generally what we're looking at. How much money is that? Um, it's an insane amount uh, in America in that you may let me put it this way: Americans are not robust with their savings. We are a culture and a economy that. We have a shockingly high number of people who live paycheck to paycheck and who have no more than uh, three weeks or no, is it three paychecks worth of savings to their name, basically through the accumulation of debt and the cost of living here in America. I don't mean this as a necessary indictment of capitalism, just saying it's a fact of how this system has brought us to where we are now. This is for better or for worse the extrapolation of those circumstances that suddenly we have a significant portion of the population That does not have any sort of significant or notable savings to speak of. So comparatively, like if you go around on the Internet and say, what is worth $10,000? Or, you know, what can you do with $10,000? You get interesting articles about like, well, with $10,000, you could buy a ready-made portfolio for investing. Like right there, that's already out of the bounds of most people who would be thrilled to have suddenly being given $10,000 that's not because if odds are if you're below that tipping point you would have some kind of debt that you would rather could like, just get paid off first um other things that come up are like you could invest in solar panel like solar panels for a home or saving for a down payment like people i if you get ten thousand dollars i don't think you are going to do something as extravagant as like starting a wine collection or buying a collector car or like installing a storm shelter like all of these is random examples of things that you can do with um, $10,000. It's a lot of money. I mean, you have to be able to cover this or else, you know, capital O, capital E, or else. So what I'm saying is people don't necessarily anticipate having to do this, having to cover for this. But thankfully there is oftentimes insurance when somebody passes away that can help to alleviate uh, this debt. Now, certainly, I'm not saying that, like, it just falls to one person. Obviously, families will often work together to cover the cost and split it up and um, have, you know, proportionate or whoever can cover their part of it. Um, People oftentimes, you know, we... (laughs) Despite our worst inclinations, we still manage to somehow take care of ourselves as people. Um, But oftentimes as well, we turn to the windfall from insurance to cover the cost of it and basically just carve out a portion of whatever estate – somebody leaves, and when I say estate, I don't mean like, oh, the Buffingtons are coming down from the Hamptons this weekend to talk about... Bl-. I mean estate as in whatever property and value and assets are um, in, considered in the possession of the person who passes away it, that is then uh, handed down or gifted or uh, disseminated to the, the next of kin or the inheritor. You know, this is... I'm not a lawyer, so I'm a bit uh, you know out in the weeds here. <laughs> but... To that end, you know, if if there's not the actual liquid asset to cover what would be required for the funeral, um, for example, if somebody does not have the funds to pay, there may be some kind of liquidation set up or like if the state has to eventually step in and cover the cost of payment, they may um, require their – like portion of the assets whether that's seizing and selling or auctioning like there are ways for the government to unfortunately and not i mean only unfortunate in that it's not the most romantic kind-hearted thing but like there there are ways for the government to recoup their fees for this um in the case of insurance there's also like end-of-life insurance generally we're talking about an actual life insurance policy and not an insurance policy specifically for the process of dying but that is also a factor that i should talk to an insurance agent about so if you're an insurance agent and you've dealt with this before please write in let me know i would love to find out more and help people think that maybe i'm less of an idiot while i talk like this so what are these costs It's not quite like buying a car where you've got some standardized costs and items and parts that you can like split out across the entirety of the process. This is a little more gray area where services are being accounted for. Um, But let's say – so I'm getting an article here from parting.com that uh, their reasonable breakout – um, and they know they specifically that funeral prices vary considerably between uh, not only the funeral homes but the geographic areas of the country as well. But for the cost of a casket, that can be anywhere up to and above $2,300, which I'll extrapolate on that in a moment. Um, but basically, what kind of a vessel do you want to put the person in? Is there going to be an urn if there's cremation? Because you can certainly bring your own urn from home. That's a reality that we're living in now. Um, But we'll get to talking about the cost benefits of cremation shortly. Uh, So, casket, uh, there's embalming cost, which is not only the chemicals involved in doing so, but paying somebody to do that you know the hourly wage the cost for using the funeral home and the actual funeral service itself so basically you're renting a space and having a thing there so any like you know it's an odd thought but it's a venue for an event um cost of a gravesite can typically be around a thousand dollars which plot of land i mean land is not cheap it's the only thing they're not making more of so yeah you you need a spot to put somebody in the ground so like minimum you need a hole to put somebody in. There's a thousand bucks right there. That is crazy that but then you think, well, I mean, alright, it's a spot of land that you want nobody to dig up forever. Not a bad deal, honestly. Uh cost to dig the grave, they're ballparking six hundred bucks. Uh that's either somebody doing it by hand, which I kinda doubt, although there are certainly Places where that still certainly happens, but typically done with a, a backhoe or an excavator or something to uh, dig out using a machine, obviously done well in advance of the actual ceremony, so that's hidden out of view so people feel that it's a much more tasteful and respectful thing. Uh, cost of a graveliner or outer burial container, uh, they're saying a $1,000, which I'm guessing that is specifically meaning the, um, well, like, it, like it says, the graveliner. It's it's a cutout piece that you know ma- skirts or masks the the presence of the cut earth or, you know the disturbed earth that the person is going into it it kind of creates the illusion of oh this is a clean doorway into the ground rather than a hole that we're putting somebody into um cost of a headstone is fifteen hundred dollars again could be lower could be higher depending on what you're doing but you're erecting a stone that's supposed to last hundreds of years if possible or as long as possible so it's it needs to be permanent, and there's a cost to that. Um, and then the fee for the funeral director services, which uh, that's you know the, the person in charge of all of this directing you through the process and orchestrating this so you don't have to worry about line iteming, line iteming for formaldehyde while you're grieving the loss of your parents or somebody. So they're, they're handling all the nuts and bolts of it and being entrenched in it every day. They're saying a reasonable cost would be $1,500, but again, I don't have direct first-hand experience with planning a funeral, and I'd love to talk to your funeral director about more of this, but with all those things lined up, the total costs are approximately $9,000, and that's just for the main items. Um, There can be additional charges like um, paying for the obituary in a newspaper or a website, which, I mean, if you want people to know to come to the funeral, that's kind of part of the process. You have to do that, and that's not free either, although... With the joys of Facebook and Twitter and all sorts of social media, you can certainly get the message out there that somebody has passed, but there's still a certain amount of formality about putting something in the paper, but there's also buying flowers and paying for a luncheon or a meal or basically, I don't want to say a party, but like a function where you, you know after the funeral, everybody needs to sit and have a bite and have some coffee and talk about what you've been through or just connect with people. It's just, it's a human thing. We need to sit and break bread with our fellow monkeys and talk about what we're dealing with and talk about the fact that we're never going to die because, like, that's, you know, it's always, funerals just don't feel like a place to talk about death, ironically. So, The caskets, when I mentioned that, this is something that I really want to talk to funeral directors about because I'm so curious as to what the industry of the caskets is like and how the models can differentiate because it's like... (laughs) It's not unlike a bed in that you know you need the function to be that you just lie down on it and then they close you in with a door. Um... So what could possibly be expensive about that? You know, with a bed that you sleep in, I can certainly get that, like, oh, there's technology used to manufacture this and engineering the best kind of comfortable mattress. But, like, the function here is so different. It's not for restful sleep. It's for eternal slumber. Like, this person is getting in there and never coming back out, and you want it to look stately, I guess. So it's not like, a shameful way to go out? Is that what that is? Like, that just seems so insidiously... I don't know. um, Cast-like of just wanting to... uh, Like, I don't know. It's... I'm not somebody who was... enthralled by the physical and ostentatious trappings of the Catholic Church when I was attending services there. Like, it just... I don't understand... The. I mean, I can get the drive to create something beautiful for the all powerful, and I know that that's not just a small statement to gloss over, but the idea that somehow making things more ostentatious or more austere for God, I just. That just is so bizarre and counterintuitive for me. Like, I just. I'm so fascinated by it. I'd love to hear from people who feel that it somehow serves a purpose, but I I just, beyond having a, you know, and I haven't, I haven't personally had to bury anybody. I've still got both my parents. I've got, well, I have no grandparents, but I wasn't involved in, you know, picking out caskets. You know, I haven't been the one responsible for this. So I can't speak to the process, but you have to make choices about, A, what will this person fit into? I know that this is a a rising problem, or this is an emergent problem in America, that we have to have extra large caskets because, frankly, people can't fit into them. This is just the practical reality of uh, the larger American, is that we have to have extra wide coffins. I don't say that as a a disrespectful thing. Like That's just the practical reality of uh, people used to be a lot smaller, now we're a lot bigger, and... That's part of the problem is that's, you know, there's a normal um, parameter and then they can deviate from it and the deviation costs extra for accommodation. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm so curious about what the like the levels of casket, what the the differentiating things are like, it, it can't be, you know, there must be a minimum acceptable threshold for safety protocol to have it like sealed and, Properly uh, put in. Uh, my understanding is it's cement lining for uh, burial sites. But is it really just the cosmetics? Is it really just the eyes <laughs> that you're that you're appealing with? With a more ostentatious casket? Like I don't, I don't imagine myself having strong opinions on what I would like to be buried in. Just because I. I I assume it'll be some kind of atomizing radiation blast from World War 3 or 4 optimistically uh taking me out but it's just uh yeah it's it's weird stuff so what i find so interesting about this with what's going on in America at the current moment is Um, And you're seeing this across the planet, too, frankly, the notion of workers' rights, what are, how do we handle a capitalist society that doesn't seem to be taking care of the least of us? And that seems to be a real dividing point for the coming uh, political campaigns that are ramping up for the 2020 election in America, Um, you know, to to put a real time stamp on this and give give an actual moment in time here. Um, But it's interesting to see how um, insurance being tied to your employer in this country puts this interesting spin on what you can and can't do in the event of somebody's death. Like, companies give grieving time. You know, I have had people pass away where the company says, well, you get this amount of days for this relative. I'm like, okay, so they've quantified the productivity of what, you know, the dollars lost would be if I'm not there for these number of days and it's not counted as vacation time. But then having um, your insurance tied in as well, if you have life insurance through your work, you are bound to your employer in such a strange way that it's paying for this. Like it's just... It's this weird interconnected system that I'm seeing all of these different machinations of how this affects what societal norms are and why we do things that we do, like, why protesting in America, what's currently going on in Hong Kong, there are these massive, massive civil protests that have been going on for well over a month now, nightly violent clashes with the police there, that we don't seem to be able to ever sustain anything of that level here in America because our insurance is so tied to our employers that we can't risk being out of work. And maybe I'm getting too far down a rabbit hole for this podcast. I don't mean to get political on it. I mean to just look at this from a sociological human perspective of what this means. But it's really, it's, this is what I'm referring to when I say what these kind of unintended consequences are. It's what happens when we examine these things. How do we, how do we examine them when it's so difficult to Decouple from them and step back and see how they actually operate. So that's why I'm just I'm so curious how just the cost of the funeral has this effect. Like there, you know, people. There's a phrase: everybody's two paychecks or two disasters away from tragedy. Where there was, I saw some clickbait headline about a woman who is this wonderfully trained singer, a homeless woman who she had been a classically trained musical performer, uh, vocalist, and violinist, and due to medical bills, she lost everything and was on the streets, and she lost her $10,000 violin. It's just another tale of somebody who, you know, for want of a nail, you know, they lose their kingdom. Like, that's that phrase meaning for want of a nail the horse would have kept its shoe if the horse hadn't bucked its shoe the king wouldn't have fallen off the horse if the king hadn't fallen off the horse he wouldn't have cracked his head the prince wouldn't have inherited the kingdom and the kingdom wouldn't have gone this like the all of these extrapolations from what happens out of what we don't think of as a significant choice like what insurance policy to sign up for when you start a new job uh, or what your new benefits are for the year what kind of effect they can have on the grander metaphysical implications of well what do we do with grandpa's body well his you know his job didn't cover this so we can kind of only do this or you know like his insurance through work was lapsed because he didn't sign up for this like there are just so many twists of fate that can change everything so i'm just so i just have so many more questions and so i i thank you for sitting and listening with me as I dig further into the practicalities of funerals and what they are. But uh, I really just wanted to kind of uncover the cost there of what this is. So if you are a funeral director, or if you know somebody in the funeral home profession, uh, please put them in contact with me and put me in my place and help me understand what all this means. I don't mean this at all as an indictment of the funeral home industry. I'm just genuinely so fascinated by like in my previous life, I was a mortgage banker and to be able to explain to people what all of the line items on their mortgage applications were about gave this weird sense of knowledge and power when in reality it's you know kind of an unromantic like, oh, it's a document that you're signing. But being able to just explain what those things are, it's like speaking code. So <laughs> what I'm saying is I want to learn. Uh, so please help me learn and be less dumb in your ears. So thank you for listening and I will see you guys next week. <music>